My name is David Jones and I'm an artist with a background in computer science and also mathematics via Trinity College at Cambridge. I'll be talking about experimenting with emerging technologies and how that has led me to today to incorporating this into my art practice. So Millie kindly invited me to participate in this ODI roundtable primarily because of how I've been experimenting with virtual reality technologies in my art. But as we brainstormed my segment, it appeared that the true roots of my invitation lay not simply on the tech of VR in my art, but in fact, we realized in our conversation that I have been engaging in a pattern of experimentalism in working with emerging digital technologies over the decades, especially as they were at the point of emergence, when the ground rules of the medium had not been quite established. So as an artist living with a spinal cord injury, an injury I've had from the age of 2.8 years old, over the decades, I've always naturally embraced a variety of low-cost emerging innovations through a form of, quote, hacking together solutions to enable me to do things I otherwise would not be able to do. As a disabled person, I didn't view many of these emerging technologies as a triviality, a novelty, or something for the distant future. Rather, I often started using them quite early on when I realized that they could become quite useful from day one before they became mainstream. Let me give you some glimpses or examples of what I mean. As a child growing up in the 80s, realizing that typing with one hand set me at a disadvantage in what I realized was the computing age, I created programs on my BBC Micro computer so I could train myself to be a touch typer with my only working right hand. So the computer program would spit out words and then the code would time me. Over the years since, this kind of program has become more widely available. Let me give you a more contemporary example too. At home, I often sit on the floor or bed and don't sit in my wheelchair because it's not that comfortable. So this means I have been dependent on others mostly to help me turn on and off lights. So of course there have been expensive light controlling technologies, but growing up with a disability, I often shied away from big expensive solutions to my problems, especially coming from a family of first generation immigrants from South India, where money wasn't abundant. So obviously it's very easy to control your lights by talking to Alexa today, but in a pre-Alexa age, I hacked together a solution using my Google Glasses voice function and Philips Hue lights. It was a bit of a hack and it took about 10 to 20 seconds for the technology to relay the message from one platform to another automatically and the tech was pretty much flaky. But using a HMD, hate mount display, Internet of Things, AI, NLP or natural language processing and web 1.0 technology, I could turn the lights on myself when at home by talking to my glass. So I like to call this a literal eureka light bulb moment. So now back to today with the emerging virtual reality technologies Millie and I were discussing. We thought it would be interesting to contrast VR to a technology that has had decades to mature to a very commercial level, namely AI or artificial intelligence today. We said one could potentially think of VR as the next AI, meaning the technology and applications are many and lots of people are excited about it. Though naturally, we were also saying VR as an ecosystem is earlier in the emergent state than AI is today. I mentioned to Millie that VR within the context of art and life can be thought of as the ultimate empathy and experiential machine. Millie highlighted that AI could be, in theory, the ultimate thinking machine. 
In what ways might VR and AI be similar, we asked. Well, both can be processing data intensive, but AI, not always, but typically distills the calculations to a singular output in words or actions. But although VR uses a lot of data for input too, it doesn't necessarily create a singular output, but rather a 360 degree visualscape, refreshing between 90 and 125 times per second. Its output is generated as a function of the viewer's point of view. There are other similarities also and differences, but maybe it's something we can discuss later on. So let's rewind back to 2019, pre-pandemic. I created an 18 oil canvas series called Living with a Spinal Cord Injury. The series was originally inspired by Leonardo da Vinci's anatomical drawings and x-rays I've seen of myself over the years. The paintings focused on the spine and the internal organs that get disrupted when you sustain a spinal cord injury. I also reimagined iconic old master portraits such as the Mona Lisa, Woman in Gold, Girl with a Pearl Earring and others, but I incorporated disability into the sitters. It was my little way to normalise disabilities and explore the theme of inclusion and embracing differences. I first exhibited them in my spinal unit at the Stoke Mandeville Spinal Injury Centre. When I opened my show in the foyer of the unit, many of the people I wanted to experience the art were the newly injured, and many of them would be in bed on the wards upstairs, and they would not be able to experience the art so easily. Like myself, many people with disabilities in hospital or not can't always travel or move distances to experience things like art. So I thought, why not experiment with the technology I've been tinkering with in my spare time over the last five years or so? Why not use the technology of VR to create an art experience that shows a glimpse of how art and other experiences might be experienced in the future without having to travel? This might be something very useful for disabled people in the future, I thought. So with this in mind, I converted my oil series, Living with a Spinal Cord Injury, into a virtual reality short film experience called The Cure. The short film is set in the future, say the year 3000, and there's an exhibition curated from the perspective of the future, set in space. These future curators find these oil canvases and display them for a future audience to convey them to what it felt to live with a disruptive injury in the past, before the cure was found to fix spinal cord injuries, for example, using technologies such as brain-computer interfaces. So when I showed the cure to various groups of people, it ended up being picked up for various film festivals around the world, including London, New York, Korea and others. So it worked as a film, but there were elements in the VR experiment I embedded which I didn't explain to the viewers beyond what I already described. But I'll share some of the experiments and findings to you here today. One of the things I could do in VR was intentionally put the viewer lower in the view horizon, meaning physically lower from a wheelchair's perspective. I didn't feel a need to explain this to the viewers of the film, although a few people watching it in VR observed to me that they felt that they were quite low and felt a bit queasy with the smooth locomotion or movement 
from painting to painting. As I was saying, I was trying to get the viewers to experience what many wheelchair users felt, that the social model of the world is what makes the experience of the world less accessible. And normally, the smooth movement in VR is typically a no-go, as it can cause an uncomfortable feeling. But I ignored this as I wanted to keep faithful to how wheelchairs operate, that smooth motion in movement, on flat floors anyhow. While discussing my thoughts with Millie before, even though I had not thought of it before, as an artist, I was not seeking permission when experimenting, and it wasn't important to me to explain my experiment or findings. And as a person from a minority group, disabled British Indian, I didn't find it important to justify my decision to center my perspective in the experiment to be easily interpretable to others. I also learned a few things too, which I didn't fully expect to learn from my experiments. For example, funnily enough, by making the viewer experience things from a lower perspective, from a wheelchair point of view, and although I was trying to show people how disabled people in the future might view art and culture through VR, what was actually happening, I was making the experience difficult for people in wheelchairs too, as they also had to crane their necks up to see from lower angles. So if I was designing for disabled people per se, I would allow a higher fixed view. Just like how AI might not necessarily be good at thinking, VR perhaps is not good at empathy in the way I had initially thought. Both have the same blind spots as their creators, but can be unlocked by the imagination of the users. Thank you for listening.